Hi guys, it's Tony Robbins. You're listening to Habits and Hustle. Crush it. Today on Habits and Hustle, we have the one and only Chelsea Handler, who is a woman who does it all. I mean, this woman's a comedian, a television host, a best-selling author six times over, and an advocate whose humor and candor have established her as one of the most celebrated voices in entertainment and pop culture today. Uh, she's also on tour right now across North America. Her tour is called Vaccinated and Horny. She just did an HBO Max stand-up special, her first in six years, called Evolution, which was really funny. And her latest book that was called Life Will Be the Death of Me is also being made into another TV show. I mean, this woman is a powerhouse if I've ever seen it. She also, I should say, has a podcast too. Of course she does, right? Called Dear Chelsea. That is an advice podcast. Uh, this woman is truly like goals. She's doing everything and doing it her way. One question I got a lot, actually, when I did do a story after I filmed the podcast with Chelsea, tons of people were asking, how is she in person? What is she like in person? And uh, I'm happy to say she is exactly what you think she would be. What you see is truly what you get. She is authentic. She is real. Um, and I, I was just really happy to, really pleasantly surprised, happy to see that because I've been a big fan for so long. Uh, I hope you enjoy listening to this podcast. I obviously enjoy doing it. And please leave um, a comment, uh, share with your friends, tell your friends. And um, like I said, I hope you enjoy. Of course, today on Habits and Hustle, we have Chelsea Handler, who is, in my opinion, one of the funniest ladies around. And uh, I'm just so, I really am so grateful that you're here on this podcast because I was saying to you before, you're, I am such a fan of yours and of comedy in general. So I guess the first question I have is nothing to do with this. Is Dan taking any more patients at all? Or because it's, you talk about him a lot, like in your book and on your, in your, in your tour, he's been like a big, he's made such an impact in your life with therapy and then maybe he can help me or everybody else. I don't know. Um, yeah, Dan is my psychiatrist for those of you who are not familiar with Dan. <laughs> and, um, I don't believe he is taking any new patients because there's, he, uh, I definitely think he did raise his rates because I remember I went back sure. to him after and I was like, he goes, just so you know, I raised my rates. And I was like, for me? And he said, no, 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 not for you. I just want to let you know if you're referring any more people to me. And he said, and by the way, I can't take any more new patients. So no, I don't think he does. Uh, he does currently take new patients, but he gives great referrals for doctors in the area for when I have a friend in need and I kind of give him yeah. a little synopsis of what their situation is, whether it's a divorce or ch a child related or whatever. And he will give me a good referral for them. So he's got a good network of uh, other psychiatrists that he can refer me to. And he's part of UCLA, to. right? Like yeah. he's right here. He's part of everything. He's oh, is everywhere. He? Okay. Yeah. Well, I think you kind of put him on the map though, because you know, you talk about him like Everything I've seen of late, of recently, it's been like Dan, 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 as if he's like your BFF over there. So, and he gives good advice. And, you know, I was like, hmm, maybe I should go see him. So I wanted to ask you about that, but that has zero to do with anything else. But um, do you think that therapy has actually helped or changed the way you kind of do your work or evolved your comedy or has it played a part in it? Yes, absolutely. It's played a part in every part, like a facet of my life. I've... I handle everything differently now. I don't handle, I'm not, uh, you know, I had a problem with impatience, impulsivity, uh, irritability, mm -hmm. you know, everyone annoyed the fucking shit out of me. <laughs> and so he basically, you know, I went in, I think I saw him for about two years altogether and he, everything he said just clicked with my brain. He taught me in a linear way. So it was able, I was able to really kind of scoop up all the information and then, you know, you get all the information about why you act a certain way or why you do the things that you do. And then you have to learn how to apply them to your life. Mm -hmm. So it's not just a one-step process. You get it, then you need to like, in my opinion, get away from your therapist for a few months after you've done the heavy lifting so that you can absorb all of the things that you learned. And then the next step is applying it to your life on your own without being codependent with your therapist. Right. You know, without calling Dan being like, what do I do? You know, this guy don't, won't call me back or I can't, I have to, you know, whatever, whatever my problem might be. <laughs> I, I, I never wanted to have a relationship like that. 
I remember going to my father's funeral and him telling me, if you need to, you can call me. And I thought, I looked at him like, I would never do that. I would never say to my brothers and sisters, I have to go call my psychiatrist right now. Right. Like it's, it's not going to come to that ever. So, uh, I wanted to practice that on my own. And then that's a whole other growth spurt that you have because you know what to do and you don't really know how to do it yet. So you kind of apply, you know, you take the best parts of your personality and carry them forward with you and try to kind of diminish the things that weren't working for you so much. Right. Well, because you just, why I'm cu really curious about this is because it's a kind of a newer thing. Like you've been doing it for what, a few years, two years, three years? Well, I did it for about two years. I haven't seen him on, you know, regularly or at all, probably in over a year, two years. But what what was the kind of the, like, what made you even like go that route? Like what made you decide that you wanted to even take that route and even do therapy? Because your life, you know, from the outside looking in was going really well. You're very successful career-wise. You're like doing a ton of great things. What was kind of a deficit or what was the kind of reason what kind of prompted the whole behavior for that or the I I, to do I just it? was really angry. I got really angry. It was after the election that mm. pissed me off in a big way. And I and I had something to hang my anger on then, you mm. know, because then I could be mad at the Trumps and Ivanka's veneers <laughs> and Donald Trump Jr.'s voice and the fact that right. this man is able to even be in the White House. Um, so that was kind of like my excuse for my anger. It became like, oh, that's what I'm pissed about. And then with therapy, you uncover that, no, that's just a symptom. You are angry about something much deeper. You're sad about something much deeper because anger is really just, you know, covering mm -hmm. up hurt and sadness. And, and then you unpack all of that in therapy and realize, oh, I'm not mad at Donald Trump. Of course, I'm, I think he's, you know, a piece of garbage and a terrible person, but I don't, I, that's not where my anger stemmed from. Right. And so that was kind of like the, the impetus for, for doing it. And then it kind of just took on a life of its own. Now, now that I was just, like I said, I was super curious because like that took you down. A, I feel like that took you down like another road and I'm not you, but like you're, it seems like you're much, you're into like activism now and you've kind of like shifted a little bit. Like, is that because of cancel culture as well? Like what's your view on that whole era, era of cancel culture and how now woke being woke or were you not woke and now you feel woke or well i mean therapy exposes like it gives you the gift of self-awareness so it exposes all of the shortcomings in your personality the inability to look around and understand that you are a live a rarefied life mm -hmm. that you are entitled that you are you know you've grown accustomed to being entitled that certainly was the case mm -hmm. for me you know my career has been plentiful and i've done a bunch of different things but it it's never been that difficult for me to succeed. Um, right. You know, when I wanted to quit one show, another show gave me a show. When I wanted to quit that show, I got another opportunity. You know, I got rewarded for my bad behavior a lot and I never looked at, at it. I just thought, oh, I must be super talented. Yeah. And it's not that simple. It's not just because of talent. It's because of opportunity. It's because of the color of your skin. It's because you were born in the right place with the right parents that could afford for you to kind of live out the American dream or fantasy or whatever that means to you. Mm -hmm. And for me, it meant, oh, I'm going to go to California because become a celebrity and live like this great life of leisure. Um, and then, you know, there's no depth to that. That's a childhood dream and fantasy. So I was looking for more meaning and more depth. And when I got it, I just changed my attitude and my direction of the things that I'm going to do. You know, when I, well, I did, you know, whether it's writing another book or doing my stand up, you know, I'm on tour now on my vaccinated and a horny tour. It's like now everything I, I do. I love that name, by the way. Yeah. Well, I'm vaccinated and horny, so I had no other choice. <laughs> But all of it, there's a message in it now. There's not just, it's not just a vanity project. Nothing is a vanity project. The last book that I wrote, Life Will Be the Death of Me, we just sold to turn into a TV show with me starring in it. And that's, you know, got a message. That's got meaning. That's got heft. And everything I do now and since I've been to therapy is, has a higher level of integrity in my opinion. And it, and getting back on the road, like, you know, I did my last special was called, uh, evolution yeah. on HBO max. So I did that. And that was the story of my book. I was able to mm -hmm. turn that book into the medium of standup. And I loved that. And, and that was kind of me coming back into standup. And now it's like, you know, there's a little bit of like, oh, gee, Chelsea, like, because now I'm like, all right, let's fucking get it out there yeah. now, especially in cancel culture, especially with everything that's going on. I have a ton to say about all of it, you know, and I have a ton of opinions about everything. And so uh, 
I like that therapy because re- I really didn't want to do stand up again. I didn't want to do a talk show again. I didn't want to write any more books. I was just so burned out. And therapy kind of just brought me back to where I came from. By the way, I just want to say your book is amazing. I I, I actually thought you re- did you re- uh, actually write it yourself because it sounds exactly like you. You know, when you a lot of times you read these books where people celebrities do the uh, write a book, it, it it they try to sound like the person, but. It sounded as if I listened to the audible and it was, you were doing it, but it was as if I'm having a conversation, like everything was, and the, and the stories, it was very honest and raw. Did you write the book yourself? Do you have a co-writer? Like how does No, it- I've written all of my books myself. I write all of my stand up myself. I write all of my books myself. Yeah. No. So no ghost writers no, and all that. No, nonsense. no, no, not for me. No. Wow. It was, it was, it's very, very good. Thank you. No, Thank you're, you. you're welcome. And all the books have your name in it. All the shows have your, is that also intentional? The TV shows all have your name. The books all have your name. Well, it would be Chelsea. weird if I called it Leticia or something. <laughs> no, you know what but I mean? Just, I but, feel like the shows have like Chelsea lately, the Chelsea Handler show, yeah. you know what I mean? I mean, yeah, like it's, everything has Chelsea. Hello, privilege. It's me, Chelsea. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think as for marketing and, you know, for buyers, they want your name on it. You know, I, I said, I remember with this last book, Life Will Be the Death of Me, which actually doesn't have my name in it. But I remember saying, like, do we have to put my name in such huge letters yeah, yeah. on the cover? Like, can't we just get people that don't know me to read the book and then find out it's me? And, you know, my publicist or my my publishing house was just like, no way. Like, you need your name front yeah. and center. That's the selling point. So, you know, it's part of that. It's part of, so everyone knows that it's from me and my brand. Yeah, well, you have such, like, so much content, like six New York Times bestsellers already. Like, I mean, where are you, where are you finding all this? Like, it's, because all of it is very much authentic to who you are. Like, how are you coming up with new content over and over and over again that doesn't feel old or like, oh, we've heard this already, Chelsea. Like, oh, like everything seems irreverent. Yeah, well, I mean, I think I'm just going through life sharing my story. I, yeah. my, that book about therapy was because I had never been to therapy. And so I right. learned so much and absorbed so much. I thought, oh, how many people will benefit from hearing this? My whole career has been about oversharing. If I'm sleeping That's around, true. I like to talk about that. If I'm getting wasted all the time, I like to talk about that. If I'm into cannabis, I like to talk about that. It's very true to who I am. And I think the people that, are my ardent fans know that they can rely on me always for the truth. I'm never going to put something yeah. shiny on it and pretend that that's not who I, you know, and pretend that I'm something I'm not. So I, there's no lack of material when you're really being authentic and, you know, honest with yourself. And I'm very much into learning, growing and adventure. So I'm always gathering material. I'm leaving for a vacation on Monday and I just thought, well, there's a book that'll be a come a book before right. I even go, because that's what always happens. That's- I go on a trip or I have an experience and I think, oh, that's a great chapter for my next book. I'm not writing my next book, but when I do, right. I have all these kinds of points of reference. I spent three and a half months in Whistler, Canada this year during the height of COVID in LA. Oh, I'm Canadian. So that's, Oh yeah. yeah. Are you uh-huh. oh, really from where I'm from Winnipeg and then Toronto. Oh, I'm performing both of those places. Yeah. When yeah. are you winning in Winnipeg? Uh, I haven't announced those dates yet, but it's part of the vaccinated and horny tour. We announced, I think 30 dates. And then we announced the second half, which is all of Canada. Cause that, cause I will be going to Canada now every January through March. And so I'm performing those the, during that time. Yeah, so yeah, it'll yeah, be yeah. during that time. You, like, you love skiing, right? Yeah, and that I'm makes a, perfect sense. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, living in, like what I was saying is spending three and a half months in Canada. That is a book. I have so many stories <laughs> from imagine. that, you know, like during COVID, trying to hook up with men and Canadian men, you know, the whole the whole situation down here uh, in the States and how everyone is you know, learning about cancel culture and Me Too movement yeah. and how that kind of bleeds upwards <laughs> to Canada, you know, because Canada is a lot more civilized than the States. Much more. How do you find the guys different in Canada than they are here? They're a lot uh, more, uh, they let women lead. Yeah. I would say Canadian men, one of their best gifts <laughs> is that they let women take charge. Right, right, right. And that, that indicates a level of um, intellect. That yeah. is lacking in the States. Or like more like confident and more, I mean, cause a lot of times men can be any, any country, by the way, men can be very intimidated and kind of put off by women who are super strong and, and, um, 
powerful or it's it's not it's it's much easier to go for the antithesis of that right yeah so do you but i kind of you don't seem to have a problem finding these men like you seem to be doing okay like well usually i I mean men like me but you know it's hard to be in a relationship they're very uh, yeah men are intimidated by successful women who know what they want you know i don't really put up with bullshit because I don't have to. I don't need someone. I'm not in a desperate state right. of mind. I'm not dying to be in a relationship. If someone comes along, they're going to be an addition to my life, not a subtraction. And I won't tolerate anything less than that, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I can have, my friend was telling me, she was trying to set me up with this guy in New York City once. And she, and I went on a date with him and I just said to her, I go, oh, I don't know. This all feels very middle-aged. <laughs> I said, he's... He's super responsible and, you know, he didn't want me, he was careful, he was worried about the way I was walking on the sidewalk, like I had stepped into the street and he was freaking, I'm like, I don't think this is my vibe. And she said, well, you are middle-aged, this is what's out there. And I said, no, 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 that's where you have it wrong. That doesn't define me or who I'm going to be with. I'm going to be with somebody sexy and hot that I find sexy and hot and that respects me and that understand and isn't intimidated by me. And believe me, it is a struggle, you know, I deal with it in my own family. I deal with it with men all the time. And their, the reaction can be, oh, we don't like her. She's so harsh or she's so loud. It's all, you know, that to me is all noise about, oh, they don't like women who are assertive, who are going to be as strong as a man in a room. And that's been the story of my life. So I'm used to it. So I'm very apt at weeding those people out. So then what is your type then? Like, do you normally gravitate or do... Do you, like, I know 50, everyone like 50 Cent you dated and you dated the guy who was a president of E. I remember that like back when. Yeah. I don't know how his personality is, but what do you normally gravitate to or what's the best? Is it more of a yin to your yang, like more of a, a silent, strong, silent type? Is it more like out there and bigger than you, bigger personality than you? It's different. And, you know, if I look at all of my ex-boyfriends, there really isn't a type. It's It runs the gamut. Uh, so I don't have a type. I just have... Uh, high standards of values, morals, ethics, all of that. I don't want to date anybody who's not on the same page in that regard. Right. You know, somebody who's not thinking about other people or who isn't empathetic or compassionate, somebody who doesn't notice a dog. I'm not going to date. You know, I don't like (laughs) men that I don't trust that. Uh, But I don't have a type. I wish I did. It might be easier, but I definitely don't. Do you like how do you meet guys, though, like besides your friends setting you up on a date in New York? I mean, the middle aged man. But how else would you go and meet guys? Is it just Uh, you just you know, I travel a lot. I meet guys a lot in other countries. A language barrier always works to my advantage. (laughs) They're less offended and less intimidated when they really don't understand what I'm saying. Uh, older men love me. They, they like me. Yes. Uh, but I'm not that into older men now that I'm 46. It's like, well, I'm not willing to go right. that much older. That was fun when I was 20 or 30. Right, right. Um, but I'm not about to like, you know, hook up with a 66 year old on the fly. Right. So I'll, I mean, when right. I'm 66, maybe, but not right now. Right. So uh, I just, however, I, I don't worry about it is one thing. I mean, if I want to hook up in a city, yeah, I'll go on an app and hook up. But if I want to do it, apps. I'm on Raya. You are on yeah, Raya? Yeah. Have you gone out with a lot of guys from there? I've Yeah, hooked up with a lot of guys on Raya for sure. And dated a few, yeah. Do you have like your name and your face yeah. on there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. I mean, I do it, you know, it's very seasonally. Like if I'm not dating somebody. Right, right. It's very seasonal if I'm not dating somebody. So I will go if I'm going to be in New York for the weekend, you know, like stuff like that. Um, but yeah, sure. I have no problem with that. I mean, I'm not going to pretend to hide who I am. Yeah. I mean, that Good is part you. of me. Exactly. And then getting back to my whole thing. So were you all like, you were, I was going to ask you two things and we went, I, I went on a tangent. Number one, like you've obviously you were very confident and you, ha- you believed in yourself and you had privilege and all that, but how, like you moved out here. Was that innate? Did you have to like work on it? Were you always funny? Were you always this confident? Or because you had all these little wins, it kind of built on your confidence and built on your confidence. I mean, I saw you were, you were adorable as a kid. You still are. But I'm saying like you were pretty, you were blonde, you were, you had, like, how did that kind of evolve? You didn't just, you just like were were born this way, super confident, super, I can do it. I'm going to move there myself. And Things just work out for you? Well, I don't know. I mean, when you go to therapy, you do learn that you have huge experience. Like, you know, the seminal moment in my life was my brother dying. Mm. And then that begs the question, is your whole life a reaction to that traumatic event? Because that shapes you so much. Mm -hmm. I was a nine-year-old girl. I couldn't articulate my pain. My family was not able to 
work together in a healthy way. Like we didn't go to therapy. We didn't go to grief counseling. We just kind of retreated to our own corners of wherever we were in the world, my five other brothers and sisters and myself and my parents. And, uh, you know, I had to, I had to get, I, I, I got tough very young. Like I, I didn't like seeing my parents Mm. in that kind of pain. I didn't like seeing my family in that kind of pain. And I was like, you know, I was in charge of the funny and distraction and deflection. And I took that on, I think at a very early age. I don't know if that, if my brother hadn't died, if that would definitely have been my personality. I think you're born with a personality, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm the youngest of six kids. So I was, my sister says I was like this when she, she, when I came out, Right. you know, when I was three, I was just like, what's, do you guys have a savings account? Like to my parents, like, what's the plan here? We have too many children and we don't like what, why, what's the deal? And my father was a used car dealer. I was like, this doesn't sound kosher. You know, I was very much an adult early on. Right. And, um, and I had a lot of misplaced confidence. Yeah. I believed in myself and I just knew I just had a gut feeling that if I really stuck to it and I tried and tried and tried that I would get somewhere in this business. And, um, and I, 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 I always believe in myself. Like I always bet on myself because I know that I will, I've been through so many excruciatingly nerve wracking experiences Mm -hmm. that I know that I can handle that. And so that instills a lot more confidence as an adult. But there was a period, I would say, after therapy, when you kind of unveil yourself and you get the gift of self-awareness. You're hot. I'm so sorry. It's no, like, it's okay, yeah. honey. I, I When you get the gift of self-awareness, you there is a period of self-consciousness because that I hadn't experienced. Um you know, there was a period of, of self-doubt where I was like, oh my God, am I this terrible? Have I been this terrible for so long? How have I been perceived? You know, you kind of beat yourself up a little uh, when you take a look at yourself. And so there was a period, I think, of for about two years between my last or, you know, my Netflix show and leaving that. I just wasn't, I wasn't myself. And I, that was, you know, when I went to therapy and And then I got those answers and you start to question everything you've ever done. And then you come around and realize, all right, I got this now. Like I got myself back. I have my confidence back. I'm, I believe in myself. Um, so I have experience not, not being confident and I don't like that. (laughs) No, no, I don't blame you. Right. But so when you first, did you think, okay, I'm going to go to LA and I'm going to become a standup or what was that in your head? You wanted to be famous. You, what, what was the, did you fail a lot at the beginning and then you kind of just kind of got into a groove or. I think I just honestly wanted to be famous. I wanted attention and I, cause I, I got, I, after my brother died, it was all about not getting the negative kind of attention. Right. I didn't want pity. I didn't want people saying, oh my God, your brother. I hated that. And I wanted to just completely change the narrative. So that became the reason that I wanted to move to Hollywood. And I, I don't know if I wanted to be a stand-up. No, I wanted to be famous for, for whatever. I just thought I had opinions that people would be interested in hearing. Right. I valued my own opinion. Um, more than most people did. And I, and I came to California and I waited tables and I lived with my aunt and uncle on Beverly Glen and they had nine children. And I was their basically their driver for all the kids. And I would take them to school every morning, listening to Howard Stern in a minivan and, um, wait tables. And then I would audition and acting was never going to be my first love because those are other people's words. Right. And so when I found out about stand up and really understood that you can get up there and say whatever you want, then I had to get past the fear of getting up there and doing it for the first time, which it didn't go badly for probably six months. Cause I think if it had, I probably would have chickened out and given up. Right. I didn't start bombing until like I was six months in. So I was already kind of hooked. And then I had a couple of really bad experiences and where I couldn't hold my own on stage or, um, or, you know, I had to kind of learn what most people go through when they begin stand up. Right. So yeah, I experienced that for sure. What was your big break in what was the, that kind of took you on this trajectory? Well, I think I had, a, I did a show called girls behaving badly on, on the oxygen network, which was like a hidden camera show. And it was pretty popular. It wasn't like, it wasn't widely known, but it was, a, it had a, like a niche following and then I got a, de- I kept getting development deals like NBC yeah. or Touchstone or ABC. 
you know, they would attach you with writers to develop a sitcom for you. And then I got the Chelsea Handler show, which was on mm -hmm. E, which was the prelude to Chelsea Lately. Mm -hmm. And that was like, I did one season of that and that didn't do very well. And it was a sketch show, but they loved me and they thought, oh, maybe you should just be yourself and do like a nightly talk show, which was something that I had never really ever thought about doing. And so they just kind of created that show around me. And I would say that the benefit of being a stand-up comedian is that that's how it works. Mm -hmm. You're not being plugged into a role. People are creating things around you right. and your point of view. So you kind of are, you know, you're the boss. And I liked that a lot. And so then I did that show for seven or eight right. years. I'm not really sure how long that went on, but I, I've heard seven and I've heard eight years. So I did that. <laughs> I've heard. We're and, not sure. And No, I'm not yeah. sure. I have no sense of time. Yeah. And, you know, and then I got bored of that. So then when you, when you get bored, you just decide, okay, I'm not going to do this anymore. Like normally people like have one show and that's like the, 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 you know, the biggest thing in their life, right? You just, you walk away. Like you're like, ah, I don't like it anymore. You didn't like talent booking. You said you were sick of that. Like, but then you started a new show. So you quit one, but then you end up going on to another. Well, I wanted to do something that was a little bit smarter. Oh, and I okay. didn't think that I could do that at E. I, you know, E kept saying, stay here, do this. And I was like, mm, I don't think this show is one thing. Right. I need to move on and do another thing. And this, and I went to Netflix before anyone went to Netflix. Yeah, I remember. So Netflix was, to me was just like the coolest kid at lunch. You know, I was like, oh, that's where the cool kids are. Let me go there. I had, you know, grow, outgrown E. Yeah. And, uh, and they were going to let me do my documentary series, which I did. Chelsea does, which was like, I got to go do ayahuasca in I Peru. Know. And I got to do all these fun things. And then I did two years of my talk show, which wasn't a big hit. And it wasn't. No, no, I don't think so. I mean, at the end of it, it was basically like, we just both sat down and I'm like, I was at the end of my rope with yeah. the politics and it was just kind of taking over. And it was when I was starting therapy and they were like, you can do the show. You know, it was, it was basically a mutual understanding right. that the streaming platform wasn't the place for that kind of show. And my energy wasn't right at that time in my life for that kind of show. I mean, then David Letterman did his on there. Did that one do well? Do I you think, know? I think his that does. One? Yeah, I think his does well. I don't know. I mean, Netflix tells you the ratings when it suits them, not when it suits right. anyone else. And they don't really, nobody, it seems to everyone I know who has shows on there, no one really knows anything. They're just kind of, they think, yeah. I think it's around this. Yeah, I think I'm right. doing okay. No, you have no idea. I mean. Why? I don't understand. I don't know. Because it gives, I think maybe because it gives them negotiating power, you know, that way yeah. when they renew something and it's a success, they don't have to pay you out the ass. Yeah, that's true. You don't know that it's doing that well. But I mean, you know, when something's a hit, you know it's a hit. Right. People are talking about it. And um, and so then I'd stop that. And then I uh, wanted to take a year off to do campaigning and stuff. But I ended up doing another documentary for Netflix because right. I had that deal <laughs> right. with them still. And I said, you know what I'd rather do? I said, let me go do a documentary on white privilege. And they were like, please don't. <laughs> and then I did it anyway. And that was great. I loved that. that. Did that do well? That did well. Yeah. yeah, that I know for sure did well. And then I got to do my, and then I think the next thing television wise was probably HBO Max, my evolution. Evolution. I love that. And by the way, I love that little white jumpsuit you wore too. Oh, thank um, you. I always like to wear white when I'm about to get my period so that men can enjoy it just <laughs> as much as we do. Well, I mean, you didn't get what, from what I saw when I watched it, you were okay. You didn't get it. But uh, that I, but. Anyway, I'm digressing. That ayahuasca uh, doc that, well, the one, the the segment that you did for your documentary, I feel like because of you, it like put it on the map yet again for mainstream. Like I, by, me, I got invited to go with, uh, to this place called Rhythmia. Have you heard of this place? Rhythmia? Rhythmia in Costa Rica. Oh, okay. Uh, it is an, it's an ayahuasca retreat uh -huh. for like a week. And I was kind of, the only reason why I did, I took my sister with me is because of you. Because we were, cure everyone was, everyone around us or like in the, you know, in the, in the air, we're talking about ayahuasca because everyone saw that piece you did on your documentary of it. So everyone was curious. I went and I was stone cold sober. It did nothing oh. for me. Wow. It was unbelievable. Yeah. And everyone else around me was like, you know, they were, they were like, they were like shitting in their pants and they're like vomiting. And I'm like, I was like stone cold sober. And I'm like, and I was thinking about you. I was like, well. Because it didn't hit me the first night either. I heard that and in And then the book. second night it did. 
So that's the thing. I, I don't think I took enough. Did you prepare? Yeah, no, you probably didn't. Did yeah. you prepare for it, the diet and everything? So yeah, um, not before. So what happens in this place, you basically go they, for like a week and they do all this stuff. They do like the, uh, enema, like they do those what's it called? edemas or what, when they shove uh, like water a tube up your, up your butt. Yeah, yeah, they did that. Oh, like colonics. Colonics, yes, thank you. And then they also, they give you a vegan diet. You can't have any meat, da, da, da. Mm. So for two days. And then like you do the ceremony, I hate that word ceremony. Yeah, like, I know, you know, it's honestly, like journey. It's like, yeah, it's like journey, journey, exactly. I really wish we could come up with a replacement word for journey. Oh, me too. And manifest and mm. gratitude. Like, yeah, this yeah, is like yeah, yeah, inside yeah. jokes of me and my friends. And then then you do this these four nights where you're you're basically stuck in a room with a bunch of strangers for 12 hours. And so, and like every night there's a different kind of ayahuasca with a different shaman. And people there, I mean, when you're stone cold sober and you have a bunch of strangers around you like shitting and vomiting in your face, it's very, very hard to stomach for four nights, but <laughs> in a row. Um, and I literally, I don't know why it just did not work. And I took two cups. Isn't that what most people take? Yeah, but it's, I mean, physiologically, you don't really know what, what is going to work for you. You know, we're all so different. It's the same yeah. thing with edibles. Like, you know, some people it gets hit. My friends in, true. That, in that special, uh, my friends the first night got hit so hard right. from it. And I didn't at all. But I was also looking after them. So that like brought me back down to reality. But the second night when it, when it hit me, it was, it was very much, I was in control of my, my, my thoughts and my feelings. I was very aware. I never got lost or felt out of control. It was all very, are you done now? If I was done, I could stop the ceremony, go downstairs, you know, have a cocktail with my crew and tell them everything that just happened. Wow. So it wasn't one of those drugs, but it was also, you know, one of the most, um, meaningful experiences that I've had on drugs because, or with a drug, I should say, because it just, it, it, it was an, it, you know, you see your life from this 20,000 mm -hmm. foot view and you're not in it, but you see you and everything you see is a memory that you've had. So I saw this whole montage of my sister and I running along the beach in Martha's Vineyard where we grew up yeah. and she was wearing her bathing suit from when she was nine. And I was wearing the bathing suit I wore when I was four and we were in kayaks and we were tipping each other over and laughing. And there was like this giggling off the water. And I just remember all of these memories. And then our dog from childhood ran by and I was like, oh, that's our real dog. Like you're watching your, mm -hmm. it, this kind of iPod shuffle of your life play out before you. That's a good way of putting it too. Yeah, it's yeah. true. Would you do it again? Have you done it again since? I haven't. I mean, I'm, I don't have a desire really to do it again. I did throw up um, and I don't, I hate vomiting. And, but I mean, I would do it again. I mean, I'm open to pretty much anything. I got so much out of it. I would hate to have another experience mm -hmm. that took away from that. See, that's exactly how I feel the opposite. Like, because I had such a non-experience, I don't even want to do it again. Yeah. It, like, ruined that, that right. thing. But how do you find it was different than doing, like, mushrooms or anything else that you've done? Well, mushrooms is just more like you can you can have – you, you, there's visuals, but mushrooms are also really laughy and really fun and right. social, right? Like, you're with a group and you can – I mean – that, that's the way I've done mushrooms. Oh, now okay. they do psilocybin dosing, which is different and guided. Right. So it's microdosing or, you know, a guided mushroom journey. <laughs> but, but I, uh, it, it was definitely way more spiritual than anything I've ever done. Way more spiritual. It was about my life and there was a voice in my head and it was about my sister. And it was, you know, this voice just kept saying, be kinder to your sister. She's not you. Cause I always wanted more for my sister. I wanted her to want more. Right. I wanted her not to want to live in suburbia. And why don't you want to, you know, work and why don't you have ambition? And, and, and it was like, cause she's not me. And right. by the way, you're not right either. Why do you think your way is the right way? And it was, and, and, and so my whole experience was about my sister Shoshana and that's her name. That's my Hebrew name. Oh, is it? Yeah. yeah. Well, that's also her Hebrew yeah. name, obviously. So she was, she had, I didn't tell her when I came home, but it was all about being kinder and more patient with her that were, I, you know, I have more memories with her than anyone in my life. And that's what all the scenes playing mm -hmm. out in the beach were. It was a reminder, like she was the first person I held hands with. She's the person that I'll always be holding hands with. You know, oh, we shared yeah. more together than we'll ever share apart. Right. And, and I never told her right away. 
but she saw when the documentary came out, um, yeah. Chelsea does drugs and she saw it and she saw me talking about her in the documentary. She's like, oh my God, this is so crazy because you've totally wow. changed in the last six months. And I didn't know how or why until I saw this and realized, yeah, you did change. Like, you know, she didn't notice it until I said it. Um, because of course I was too proud, prideful to call her up and be like, sorry for our whole lives, <laughs> our whole lives, sorry for being a bully our whole lives and wow. you know, always pushing you to do more. And you know, you're, you're not me and I'm not you and you should do what you want. And I should always support that. Are you guys close now? Oh yeah. Me and my whole, my whole family and I are pretty close. Right. Well, you guys, you make fun of them so far. It was like so funny, but you're, you're a dad now. I mean, even, even in this circumstance, you say, you still say things that are so funny. I'm telling you everyone, you have to just get this book by the way. And of course go see your tour vaccinated and horny, but that book I'm telling you, it spoke to me just in terms of even your deficiencies. I'm like, this is like, you're speaking my language, speaking me. I, I really, like I said, I, I really liked it. Thank you. Um, you're Thank welcome. You. Uh, so let's go back to then your career stuff since people are going to want me to ask these questions. So have you ever had, have you ever bombed on stage? Have you ever had something that's very severe? I know that maybe some projects didn't work out and you said goodbye mutually, but has there ever been a situation where it's been like, you know, on stage where like the, the, the audience wasn't really like, like they, they didn't receive or like yeah, you? Yeah, of course, of course. I've had that. I, I performed at the Montreal Comedy Festival when I was who knows? I have no sense of time again. I'm sorry. I don't know dates. Or <laughs> oh, times. just for laughs? Did you yes. do the just for laughs? Okay. And I bombed. And I was supposed to be the hot ticket, the hot new girl. I was like 25 or something, 26. And I bombed badly in front of every executive that was there. Oh, and wow. uh, then I, and I was crushed. I just sat in my hotel room and just cried and cried and cried. And then on that, that was like a Saturday night. And on that Monday, on that Tuesday, my manager said there were two executives that weren't there. We're going to put you up at Luna Park to do your your set again. And I went and killed it. And then I got my first development deal with NBC. And that was 72 hours after the worst night of my life. You know, well, my yeah. whole life changed. It was bad. And then it was amazing. So uh, I like to tell that story because, you know, everybody yeah. goes through something and they think this is it. You know, we're so solipsistic in our own experiences we think, oh, my whole world is over. My whole world is this. My whole world is crushed. And it's like, no, it isn't. It never is. You know, everything mm -hmm. is temporary. Everything. And, um, yeah. and that's a good example of how quickly things can change. It's true. It's about, it's about changing your mindset. So like you had, you were always strong and willful, but when you had those things, even at the beginning of your career, that, or even, you know, when you were going from show to show, you just kind of there, I'm sure there were times when you kind of just, you failed at something, but you just were, you had the resilience to not let that affect to you. To not be a victim, to, to not, not be, a, be victim. a victim, to not go, well, why can't I get anything? I mean, I've, I've, I've been that, you yeah. know, I've done that in my twenties. I've, I've, I remember sitting on the phone with my sister, Simone, and I was probably 24 years old. And I was like, am I ever going to make it? What if I don't make it? What if I'm, you know, waiting tables for the next 20 years of my life? And She's like, you're going to make it. You're going to, you're going to, you are, there's nothing else you can do. This is what you're supposed to do. This is what your purpose is, is to entertain and spread joy and laughter. And I was on the phone with her and my other phone rang and I had gotten my first like TV guest appearance on the show, The Practice. Remember that of show? Of course. Dylan McDermott and Laura Flynn I used to love that show. Yeah, I played a rape victim and I was like, oh my God. And I, as I, she and I were having this conversation, I got that phone call. And I remember clicking over, I'm like, oh my God, Moni, Moni, like I just got a thing. And she's like, see, it's happening. It's already happening. And, and yeah, so I, there are times where I had been like, why, why me? Why can't I get this? And why is this person doing better? And that's a victim mentality. Yeah. You know, comparing yourself to others is, is no way to live your life. It's hard to do because we're all living in this yes. time. Yes. And obviously there are elements that are hard to avoid. But I think the one thing you always have to realize is like, no one has what you have. You have a special thing that no one does. Mm -hmm. And that's not a competition. That's just, how are you gonna express yourself and how are you gonna be cool about, about getting your message out there and about bringing people along with you? You know, when I did Chelsea Lately, 
All those people have careers now. Yeah. You know, Fortune Feimster, Joe Coy, uh, Kevin Hart, Tiffany Haddish. Those people were all on my show on yes. the regular, on the round table. And that's right. And because I had no problem sharing my spotlight. And that's the message I think for everyone is like, stop trying to grab and start sharing, you know? Stop. It's not just about you succeeding. It's not a zero sum game. Mm -hmm. If you can bring people along with your success, then, you know, all the ships rise with the tide. Doesn't matter yeah. what, you know, that's the way to be. And so that was a great opportunity for me. It wasn't even intentional. It was just natural. But now that I get to see their success, I mean, it, you know, it makes me so emotional because I did have a hand in it. You know, yeah. I did want to make sure that somebody like Tiffany Haddish, who wasn't represented on TV at that time, who had a dirty, foul mouth, was going to get away with that just the same way that I was getting away with right. it. Right. You did. I, that's, I remember that now. That's true. All of those people came from that from that show. So how are you able to like, I know, especially in like Hollywood and entertainment, like there's so many cooks in the kitchen, right? Like they're like, they try to take, they, they, they like you for who you are. And then when the second that they sign you or do something, they want to like tweak and change you or put you where you don't belong. Mm. And like, you see it all the time in the music world too, right? Like someone who's real talent and then they make them a pop star and give them some stupid song to do. How did you stay so like true to who you are and have such control in an environment where it doesn't lend itself to that? I just don't respect men. You know, I mean, yeah. <laughs> when men were telling me what to do, I would just tell them to go fuck themselves. But they didn't fire you for that? Like, that's no, what would happen. No, they actually, like, respected me for it. I mean, yeah, you know, it didn't it, it didn't always work out. I've had some tricky relationships with some bosses. Um, not the one I dated, obviously. Well, that got tricky in the end when I broke yeah. up with him. But they had that go? Like, were you dating him before it started or after? How did that whole thing happen? No, it was after Chelsea. Well, I did the Chelsea Handler show, and then Chelsea lately started, and he was very hands-on in that. Okay. Okay. So it was probably like, I don't know. I don't know. Remember the timing, but it was definitely up and running. Okay. And then he and I were spending lots of time together and he was going through divorce. So it was just, you know, kind of like verboten. But I was like, who gives a shit? This is how you meet people at work, you know? It's true. Right. And, and uh, so we had a nice four year run and then that ended badly, but we're still friends. He emailed me the other day and um uh, what was the question? I no, like how him. did you said, like, I said, how did you kind of combat oh, with, it with God, with men? And yeah, like, cause like, normally people have to like, you know, it happened with me and everybody else. Like you say, you could be a strong personality, but you don't want to lose that opportunity. So then you kind of then acclimate to what is necessary. And it just, it like derails actually your career in the end, right? Yeah. Not being well, it, I mean, there have been times where it's hurt me for sure. Um, but there's been times, more times where it's helped me. And I've always just stuck to my guns and not let somebody dictate how I'm going to behave. You know, there's constructive criticism and then there's letting artists and creatives be themselves without giving too many notes. You know, your notes should be enhancing a performer, not taking away. It's just like a relationship. What are you bringing to the table that I haven't thought of that's going to enhance this show, this experience, this performance? You know, my agent, my, uh, a comedy agent, Nick Nusiforo at UTA, he gave me notes on my last show, my special about it because it was- The vaccinated one or- No, no, no. no. My first, my oh. when I was shooting um, Evolution oh. for HBO Max and I respect him and, mm -hmm. and he gave me great notes, you know, and then that becomes more of a collaboration. And, but when, you know, when men are just kind of telling you things to tell you things or give you notes to give you notes. Like, you know, I, I don't mind it, that kind of confrontation of saying, no, I don't like that. I don't mm -hmm. feel comfortable with that. That's not what I want to do. Um, creatively. And I've, I, I, I always established now. I mean, when you're, I'm talking more when you're not who you like right now, you're Chelsea Handler. You're no, like, I did this when I was not. So established. That's, that's, that was my and question. I have to be honest at that time, the people that were the hardest to get through were women. Women I agree too. were not 100%. helpful for me to succeed. They would stop me. I remember this woman who worked at E was like, she doesn't deserve her own show. She's not funny enough. She's too pretty. That's what she said. I'm too pretty. What the fuck does that mean? Um, yeah. You know, and, and I remember not wearing, I would remember never, I was always playing down like, my looks and putting my hair back and not wearing makeup and wearing like tomboyish clothes and never looking feminine on stage. Cause I didn't want to, I didn't want other women to be intimidated by me or jealous of me. And, and I was like, you know, that got in my head and I've had so many women kind of thwart my success or try to, yep. whereas it, you know, and now we're in a different time because women understand that we didn't need to be pitted against each other in this way.
Right. Some people, some women, I mean, I, I don't think it's a clean slate either way. No, right? no, of course not. It I, never is. It, it never is. I don't think it was all men. I think to your point, I had a lot of issues with actually women, not men a lot of times because yeah. they're threatened or, or in their eyes, they, they're intimidated or whatever the stupid nonsense is. So I'm not saying it was men or women. I'm just saying in general, when you're in a, when you're in a position where you have less power and yet you you still are like you're on the rise and then that's when they started tweaking mm-hmm. to change your career but you were able right away to you kind of felt like you had the you had you had the the gumption to still stick up for yourself yeah i mean i believe then. in myself and i know like uh, if it's not true and it's not authentic people see through that very quickly mm-hmm. So So true. You have to be clear about what you're after and what you're doing and what your point of view is, especially as a comedian. You can't fake that. Right. No, I I mean, there's so many people who rip off comics and you're like, you're not authentic. That's not how you feel. You're ripping me off or you're ripping some other, you know, woman off. Uh, And it's just it's almost like a shtick. And I'm not doing a shtick. Right. This is that's what's actually kind of you actually are who you are. I mean, even just talking to you, like you're not any different, even when you walk into my house and this podcast, then I see you on the stage or like you really are the same person everywhere. It's amazing. I, I, do you, who do you think is a really good comic or did you, when you were kind of going up the ranks, like who, do you look, who do you think is really good? I mean, in general, or just comics. Ali Wong is awesome. Yeah, She's I love great, her. Really sharp. I uh, we went to we were doing Chappelle's thing in um, Yellow Springs, and she was there the same time I was, and uh, I was just like blown away at her performance. Sarah Silverman's a really close friend of yeah. mine. And she's, we're totally different styles. Right. And she's really smart. I respect that a mm-hmm. lot. Um, and then there's a lot of people that are up and coming. Like everyone who opens for me on this tour is a person of color, you know, a woman of color. Oh, Vanessa really? Gonzalez just opened for me at the Santa Barbara Bowl. Um, and I just, yeah, because, you know, yeah. we have to give the stage time now to people of color who didn't get that stage time. Right. You want to put them in front of audiences of 3,000 and 2,000 people and, and let them get that, you know, the set, the same amount of opportunity that we all did. So that's another way that I can, you know, be of aid and help bring people into the light instead of just, you know, using some same opener for 60 shows. Like it's just not, you know, right. who did you use back then? Like back. I would use the people on my show, oh, oh, yeah. you know, on the like cast and yeah. stuff. It, somebody would come with me every weekend and I would just rotate it. And so they would fight over it all week long. <laughs> I put up my stand-up dates and they'd sign up. And But, you know, then I was just feeding my own, my own, you know, group of people. Again, looking yeah. back at that, that was an opportunity for me to go get other people that weren't on my show to open for me instead of giving the people who were already getting airtime on my show on a weekly basis stage time right you know you want to spread the love even more and and so yeah so then you also said they're doing this you're, you're making the book into a tv show now mm-hmm. but is it not going to be a real it's going to be more of an scripted act, a scripted it's show scripted, yeah is it where it where is it going to be on now well no. Where, no i can't say because we're right now negotiating so oh, yeah. sorry okay well it's i have a deal at universal a production deal because i produce tv shows with my company and then we are we just are just took it out and yeah we're negotiating with a couple of people so we'll see and you're going to be acting in it then yeah, as, as you as yourself and it's going to be my whole kind of like it's almost like a curb um, oh my gosh. But with therapy and my whole story for my book, the, you know, the concept of two steps forward and 18 steps back and trying to get better at being less of a cunt and always failing and sometimes <laughs> very rarely succeeding. Oh my God. I love that. So who's going to play Dan and everybody? Do you have any cast? Well, no, no, no. We have to, we're a little bit far away from that, but we just. So how is, long will it take you think to get it like from now to on air? Oh, I don't know. May It could be, I mean, you, these things, even negotiating a deal can take six months. So oh, longer. It could be six months. It could be two years, but hopefully the sooner the better. That's such a great concept though i mean that you would be perfect to do that yeah. though yeah so, so i'm exciting. excited about that i've got a great writer liz Tuchillo from sex in the city and she and i have been de- developing this for a while so it's pretty exciting to go out to buyers and to get people already you know excited about it and i think that's the next thing for me on tv 
What else are you doing besides um, that? I'm doing my podcast, Dear Chelsea, yes, which Dear is an advice podcast, which people call in and I give advice, which has been so much fun, way more fun. I thought it was, well, I mean, sometimes it gets pretty serious too, but I, I absorbed so much of what Dan told me and said, and yeah. I absorb so much when I hear anything. And I've read so many books on self-help and therapy now that I was like, I miss Dear Abby. I miss that. I miss having like being, because that's who I am in all of my relationships. I'm the big, strong sister that's going to be like, no, 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 I'm going to take care of this. This right. is what you're going to do. You're going to break up with that guy. You're going to leave that job. You're not going to talk to your mother until she apologizes to you <laughs> for being upset that you're transitioning. You know, right. like all of these things, I have a greater, uh, I have greater insight now because of my time with Dan. So uh, yeah, so that's turned into a really fun podcast. People call in with really serious problems. We also have idiots that call in and say things like, I'm microdosing cocaine at work. Is that a problem? Because I'm being super productive. And you're like, first of all, there's no microdosing cocaine. That's not a thing. I was going to say, well, th maybe there will be though soon. I mean, I feel like every, every couple of years something else happens, but aren't you microdosing weed? Yeah, all the time. All the time. Are you yeah. right now? Are you like... No, I didn't today. How How are you not like a thousand pounds though? Because I, whenever I'm like microdosing or not, I'm I'm starving and have to eat all the time. Yeah, well, there's a, there's a strain called THCV, which is kind of an appetite suppressant it works at. It oh, works right. as an appetite suppressant. Um, so it's good to get that. But I hear what you're saying about the munchies. I mean, I, I, I couldn't agree more. Like we need more. The problem with the cannabis industry is that men have been in charge for so long. So they don't care about the munchies. Right. You know, now that we have so many more, more female founded companies, we can start putting THCV in things to say, Hey, this is so you don't have to pig out every time you get high. But something I do that works is I always, not always, but if I don't want to eat, you know, if I take an edible or I smoke a joint, I make sure it's right before a meal so that I'm having it yeah. when I'm supposed to. And I also say to myself, don't be a fucking pig. Yeah. Like you're just getting high and don't ruin it by just, you know, overeating. Like self-talk to yourself before yeah, you do you it. Yeah, you kind of set your intention like any like yeah, drug. Totally true. You would be like, I want to have a good time. I want to have a good experience. And so, you, and that actually works like an hour or two into it? Like you don't- Yeah, it does for me. I mean, if you're strong-willed, it does. Like I have a system for myself and I set myself up for success. I don't want cannabis to do me. I like to do cannabis. Right, and- do you have a line of it though? Or no, like I don't. I don't. We've been working on it for a couple of years, but nothing to announce yet. No, things have fallen through the cracks and it's just, right. been, it's been a really like hard road. So yeah, it's hard to get this going. Why is it so hard? I feel like everybody and their dog is coming up with some type of Cause like, it's all men. It it's is all men. And you know, it's just, it's just been a long, we've been, we've had deals, then they've fallen through or something's wrong with this investor and we can't use his money. It's just all of those kinds yeah. of things. So unfortunately I don't have anything on that front to announce. You know, I, I'm going to make a note. My, my first cousin is the chairman of a company called Kronos. I mean, I, I don't care if anyone else knows. Do you know what that is? It's a very big, uh, I guess, weed company, and they're buying and acquiring all these brands. Oh, really? You should talk to him because he's doing deals with lots of people. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, great. Kronos. I mean, yes, and his name is Mike. Hi, Mikey. Um, and I'm going to introduce you to him. Okay. Um, I, I thought you may have even had a conversation. Maybe someone had a conversation with him. But you do microdose shroom, uh, mushrooms then or no? Yeah, Just yeah, yeah, that totally. Too? Mm -hmm. So what's the difference? Like, what do you get from that, from weed then versus mushrooms on the microdosing? I'm just like very curious Mush about this now. I, uh, microdosing, like weed is like, I, I just chills me out. Yeah. Like it just softens the edges. You know, yeah. like I take an edible, I find people a little bit more tolerable. Yeah. <laughs> I find people a little bit less annoying. Microdosing mushrooms is more as an upper. It's like up, 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 up. You can find that for weed too, but that's not what I use it for. Right. I use weed to relax, to sleep at night. So, you know, rather than take a sleeping pill or if I'm traveling, you know, I like that. Uh, but mushrooms are like, a, that's if you want to be really productive for me. Right. Like I like to microdose in the morning or, you know, and go skiing or write or, you know, be outside in nature and do something. And it just gives you a little bit of an upper, like a kick and you're happy. Okay. Well, that, okay. So, and so most of the time though, you do the weed though, cause that's your big thing yeah, right yeah. now, right? Mm -hmm. Anyway, I have a couple other questions and I know I, I want to be respectful of your time. I don't know how long we have. How long Thank do we you. have? I have to just be home by one thirty. So oh. it's 108 and I'm only 10 minutes away. Oh, you're 10 minutes. Okay. Well, 12 minutes away to be exact. 12. Okay. So yeah. I'm going to, I'll, let me just think of like other, oh, you did say also now that we're talking about the whole weed and mushrooms that you are a pharma, what is it called? Pharmacological intuitive. Yeah. Is that like a real thing or did you make that name up? No, I made, I made a <laughs> pharmacological intuitive. I like to prescribe drugs to people and myself. 
Really? Yeah. Like I like to, t- I to assess the situation and then tell people, because some people can't, don't respond to weed. Right, right, They right. can't do it. So, and some people can, and I like people to be supportive and interested in it. Yeah. So I don't like to scare people off too much. So I like, I really do know how to dose people in the right way. Like if somebody, like my sister doesn't do a lot of drugs, she doesn't drink. So I always give her like a little mint that's two and a half milligrams and that hits her just right. My brother can handle 10 to 15 milligrams in one sitting. You know, there's different types of personalities, people who are nervous about drugs or nervous about cannabis because they've had a bad experience in the past about it. Um, those people you have to be delicate with, you right, know, because right, you right. want it to be an entry point where people are going to come back and be great, you know, yeah. and be like, oh, I trust this source or this works. You don't want to scare people off, uh, you know, and now that there's this educative component that's been missing for so many years, it's everything's labeled. You can see everything you're taking. Absolutely. So there's nothing to be scared of. But you're also good, I, like when in your sp- in evolution on HBO Max and in your book and in everything else, you talk about, you can look at someone and say, okay, you have like psoriasis, you should be taking this, you should be doing oh, that. Oh yeah, yeah, that too. Like, I prescribe medication to people. Well, I tell them what I think they should take and if I have extra, I'll give it to them. But I, yeah, but yeah I'm not like a legitimate doctor. No, I know you're not. <laughs> Do well, I just don't want, yeah, yeah. I always have to say that because people will be like, you know, they can go back and do what I say and then be like, I took three doxycycline and an empty stomach and vomited for three days. Like my friend had a bad, my makeup artist once had really bad acne. I'm like, you know what that's good for? I was like, you take two doxycycline for 10 days and you will not have any more acne. And she did it. I gave it to her and her whole skin cleared up. So, but you can't, doxycycline is very, you know, it's, it's strong. So you have to take is that. that penici- is that a form of penicillin? Uh, I don't know if it's a form of penicillin. I know penicillin. you're not a pharmacologist, but I mean. I just play one on, on TV. On TV or, and podcasts. Or, or, yeah, or, on podcasts, on social media. On social media, exactly. And you've really leaned into your social media too. I mean, like, I feel like a lot of. I mean, because we're like in the, we're we're in our forties, and I feel like it's it's more of a it's I hate it. Like, and I have to kind of just not have that attitude because it makes it even worse. Yeah, you have to embrace it. Yeah, you have to embrace. You have it. to lean into it and just understand it's it's part of the process now. And right, and the attitude alone will help you digest it and do it more uh, fruitfully. Exactly. Right? Like once I got my head around it, and I was like, okay, this is what people are doing. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it my way. And I'm going to be in a good mood about it. It changes. It changes it for it cha- you. Ha- absolutely, and it's so true because the second you shift that again in your brain, you do your whole uh, how you deal with it is much different, and it's it kind of comes through better. Um, I have to ask you because it's called habits and hustle. All your all your habits. Like, what do you do? Like, what time do you wake up in the morning? What are your like daily habits to be productive, to be you? What do you eat? How, what do you extra? I know you exercise with Ben Bruno, right? Cause mm-hmm. I always watch those funny little mm-hmm. segments. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do you still exercise with him? Mm-hmm. You still yeah. I worked out with him? with him this morning. I usually okay. see him first thing in the morning. I wake up at like six every day. Do mm-hmm. you work out? Yeah. Well, when I'm in Los Angeles, okay. for sure. Uh, I wake up every day. I wake up pretty early at six. Uh, and then I read the paper, the New York times and the actual paper or like online paper, No, the actual paper. And then I, I eat, I take all these supplements, you know, all this, I have a nutritionist. I have all these pills that I have to take all this anti-aging stuff. What are you taking? Oh my God. Everything like from metformin to hair pills to uh, peptides that I inject in the morning. Do do, do they work for you? Yeah, totally. Which ones are you on? CCP and then CJC at night. You do CJC and what do you think it does for you? I'm not sure what anything does because I do so many things. Who knows what the fuck's working? (laughs) All I know is that it's working. And so I do it all. I take NAD, NAD treatments. Do you take Trunaigen? Which no, is no, oh, I which don't one are you take taking? That. That's that's the and that's the NAD precursor, so it makes your body make its own. Oh well, I get a shot of it once a week, and then I supplement it with the two of the pills. So I don't know who makes the pills. Oh, it's just it's called NMN actually. Oh, you do NMN NMN pills, and then the NAD shot because the NMN is a is a bigger molecule, so it doesn't get into your bloodstream as fast. Mm, but yeah, that's a whole other yeah. scientific <laughs> question. Um, which pills are you? T- which, do you know the brand? Mm. No, not know. offhand. I don't. So you get an NAD shot. You do the. Uh, you do two peptides. I do a morning peptide. I do a night peptide. I usually take metformin when I'm going to bed because sometimes that can make you a little bit queasy. Yeah. So I do that, and I'm full, always on a full stomach. I take hair pills. I um, nice hair though. Uh, well, thanks. Um, I do. You do I'm, testosterone cream. I saw that in your evolution. Proje- you pro- no, I don't take that anymore because that made my hair fall out. 
It did make your hair. Yeah, it, made my hair, hair it made my hair thin. And I don't, I'm a blonde, so I can't afford yeah. my hair to be any thinner. But you know what I just started doing is Harlinican. You know that brand? No. Uh, this is this hair growth company. You go in and they assess your scalp and then they give you all of these shampoos and this kind of serum to put in your hair every night. It's a huge pain in the ass. There's a lot of steps. But um, I did. I started doing that like two weeks ago and I can already notice a difference really? in my hair. Yeah, but you have great thick hair, so you don't have to Thank worry you. about that. But for people who don't, I'm sure it's super expensive. I have no idea how much it costs, but... <laughs> I am doing that right now too. Yeah. Okay, but your hair does look good though. Um, Thank you. So you do, okay, so the hair thing, the all the supplements. Okay, what else did you say? You said something else. Um, what else do I take? Vitamin D, I take iron, I take zinc, I take uh, all of the stuff. Jeez. And you have like a nutritionist, you have- Yeah, like, I have a nutritionist that I've been working for with for like 20, 20 years. And he has this brand called Kiani, which has these kind of like morning sunrise. You take like a little, you know, it's like a goo pack that you take in the morning. And who's your doctor? for this? Who's your nutritionist or who's your... Do you well, my nutritionist is Mark McDonald at okay. Venice Nutrition. And I go to Dr. Reed Fraidkin, who is in LA. Oh my She's gosh, the anti-aging she, Yes, doctor. you go to her. Yeah. She was my doctor years ago and I was looking for her a number. I couldn't remember her last name. Yeah. She's a French woman. Yes, yes, yes. Oh my her. God. You go to her. It's, yeah. And, wow. So she puts you in all these peptides. Uh -huh. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Makes sense. Okay. Yeah. So yes. she's got something for everybody. She sure does. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then, okay, so sorry. So then you have the workout. What kind so of workouts? So I work out with Ben. I do weightlifting. Only ways you do cardio? Uh, no, I walk a lot. Like I'll go for a walk up by the beach or on the bike path or up in Santa Monica on the Palisades Park. I walk a lot because COVID introduced me to walking. And um, I never, th I don't think I ever took a walk before COVID. And uh, yeah, no, I don't go crazy with working out. I don't, I mean. Cause you're fit, you look really well, fit. Well, that's all the peptides and stuff. Keep your weight down, you know? So that stuff helps. Some people say it works. Most people say it doesn't. That's why I, for women, I've, I've heard a lot of people saying it didn't do it. I was on it for like, I guess two weeks. It did nothing. So I went off, but I, like a lot of men love it. But six, two weeks isn't I enough know. time. You need to do it for six months. I know. And like your body composition changes. Like I have way more muscle than I used to because of that. Because I'm also treating it with, you know, you're working out. Like too much cardio is no bueno for when you're over 40. A hundred percent. I totally agree with you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so then, so those two, maybe the two, co the combination of those two. Yeah. And it also like, there's something in there that makes my appetite less crazy. Like, so I'm not so, uh, you know, I'm not just, I, I don't have the same desire for yeah. food that I used to. I used to pig out on stuff. I'm like, I'm kind of grossed out by so much food after seeing all these right. documentaries and seaspiracy. You're just like, what the hell are we all eating? I know, did you see that? Yeah, oh, so God. I do a lot of shakes, you know? Yeah, what kind of, what, do you put protein powder in it? Yeah, my like nutritionist put protein powder. It's plant-based, everything's plant-based with him. Are you a vegan though? Mm, no, okay. no. No, but I don't really eat a lot of meat anymore. It's kind of out of style. <laughs> I know exactly. It's like it's like very like gauche now to like be eating chicken and beef. Yeah, right. Um, okay, so you work out every how many times a week though? I want to be very clear. Five. Usually times? five. Yeah. Okay, and then you do all those peptides. You wake up at six o'clock. Okay, give me some other ones. Mm. Do you cook? No, I can't cook anything. Okay, um, what's your favorite food? Mm. If you do eat. Do you like sushi? Do you eat a lot I of like sushi? I like grilled oysters. I eat, love sushi, yeah. Okay. I like uh, this place called Blue Plate uh, Blue Plate Oysterette in Santa mm. Monica. I love their grilled oysters, these Kyoto oysters. I love those. Uh, what else do I eat? It's not, that. that's, I mean, I try not to eat shit. I have nothing bad in my house. So right. if I'm stoned, nothing's going to happen anyway because <laughs> there's nothing there. Right. It's all clean, clean food. Good that, for you. Yeah. So, I mean, it's worth it. You feel so much better and then that becomes your addiction. Yep, absolutely. Do you go to bed at a certain time? Do you have sleep? Do you have, do you have a night routine or? No, I don't really have a night routine, but you know, I can go to bed anywhere from nine to one. It just depends. If I'm tired, I'll get into bed at seven and watch TV for two hours before I fall asleep. Right. And if I have, you know, a thing to go to, then I have a thing to go to. Do you do like, well, do you do like, do you like do infrared saunas or red yeah, lights yeah. and all that stuff? Oh yeah, I do a red light mask. I have one of those from, uh, who's that from? I don't know. Uh, I put on that mask that three minute a day. I get tons of facials. Uh, I have an infrared sauna. Yeah, I do yeah, all the stuff. You do all that stuff. I love it. Well, listen, I have had a blast having you on this thing. Thank you so much on this thing, on this podcast. <laughs> Thank you. You've been so great and so open. And I, you know, I just want everyone to go and and go find Chelsea on her tour, the vaccinated and horny tour. You're all over North America. If you're going to Canada. Yeah, no, I think my date's coming up. I have San Diego this week. Or well, San Diego, uh, I have, I'm going to Ohio, I'm going to Grand Rapids, Michigan, Detroit. I'm going to Jacksonville, Florida. 
Uh, yeah, but you can look on my uh, Instagram or my website, and yeah, I'm coming to a city near you for sure. For sure, please come see me. I love it. Is it? And and you're so funny. So thank you so much. Thank I you. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Habits and hustle, time to get it rolling. Stay up on the grind, don't stop, keep it going. Habits and hustle, from nothing into something. All out, hosted by Jennifer Cohen. Visionaries, tune in, you can get to know them. Be inspired, this is your moment. Excuses, we ain't having that. The Habits and Hustle Podcast, powered by Habit Nest. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join podcast royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.